Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, continues his series entitled The Message and the Movement, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today, Pastor Mike brings us a continuation of his study of Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, with a message titled, Jesus and Prayer, Part 2. Well, good morning. Man, it's so good to be back. I uh, heard great reports while it was gone, uh, the teaching that Joel did and the teaching that uh, Pastor Dave Cox did last weekend. And uh, so, it's, but it's, uh, it's just always fun to be back. And we, we love getting away, but it's just good to be home, you know, and it's good to be back uh, up here. So uh, looking forward to the time with you today. Um, I've got a lot going on. I was amazed that Mexico house building thing, you know, while I was gone, the first weekend I was gone, I guess before the 11 o'clock service, it even sold out. And so just uh, so grateful for what God's doing here in just a variety of ways in the body. Um, if you're new to Rocky Peak, this is your very first time, my name is Pastor Mike, and I want to welcome you. Inside your uh, program for the weekend, you have a, uh, a white message note sheet, and it, if you take that out, that'll help you follow along this time of teaching. Every week we're, we're uh, kind of in the midst of a time of teaching, and we're going through a series right now called The Message and the Movement. It's a story, a study of the most famous sermon ever given in the history world called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a, a message where Jesus laid out kind of his, his message of his movement. And so we've been studying it for a long time now, and we're coming uh, close to the end. Today we're in chapter 7 of the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to, uh, to Matthew chapter 7, and, uh, and then I'm going to get, uh, get started. So uh, you ready to go? Okay, let's, uh, let's pray together. God, thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. Uh, some things we know, some things we don't know. But we thank you for the way that you father us, the way you lead us, the way you mentor us. And as a congregation, God, we're thankful for what you're doing here in our church. And today, Lord, we understand this is the next step in the process, that today is the next step that we take together as we enter into your word. And so we come and we just want you to teach us. And as we talk about this important topic of our conversation with you and how it works and how you answer and how you respond. We pray that you'd meet us in a powerful way and teach us more. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, he was born in 1805. He was born in the, the country of Prussia, Middle Europe, and, but he was destined to make his mark in the land of England. He was not a Christ follower when he was young. In fact, it was quite the opposite. He had a reputation as a liar, a cheat, a gambler, and a thief. Back when he was 15 years old, his mother lied dying in bed. He was out drinking with his buddies. And when he was 17, two years later, he was arrested for fraud. But God had plans for this young man's life. And uh, a few years later, he was at college. A friend of his invited him to go to a Bible study, a home Bible study. And there he began to hear the message about Jesus. And though it wasn't the first time he'd heard the message, for some, time, for some reason this time it clicked in and it made sense. And God got a hold of his life in an amazing way. His life was never the same again. In fact, he became one of the most famous Christians of all time. He made his mark in, uh, in, in a variety of ways, but especially became famous for his work with orphans. He moved to England, and back in the 1800s and early 1800s, there's all these orphans that no one was taking care of. There's no social services. And over the course of his life, he would take in over 100,000 orphans. But he made a decision that would set him apart from all other orphanages in that time that he made a decision early on he would not advertise for the needs, for the food, the clothing, the supplies, the, the funds that he needed, 
They wouldn't advertise it. He wanted to test out what Jesus had taught about prayer. That he was just going to go into his time alone with God each day and tell God the needs and see what happened. And uh, the stories about his life are legendary. Over the course of his life, he developed a very close relationship with Jesus, as you might imagine. And he became famous for his exploits in the realm of faith, his exploits in the realm of prayer. His name, some of you will recognize, his name was George Mueller. And the stories about him truly are legendary. A couple of my favorites. Um, One time, in the year was 1876 now, George was 71 years old. He'd been walking with Jesus for over 50 years. He was traveling from Great Britain over to Canada where he was speaking at a very important engagement in Quebec. He was taking, he was on a steamship named the Sardinia. And he was traveling over, and of course it took a long time in those days to travel. And as they got off, they were coming and they're approaching the coast of Newfoundland. Uh, cold weather set in, and this huge fog came in, and they, you just could, the ship could not see where they were. It was the day before navigational radar and all that. And it was a very dangerous time. And, and so the, the captain was on the bridge for over 24 hours to personally supervise this as they went at uh, kind of a snail's pace. George was supposed to speak that Saturday in Quebec. This was Wednesday, and he was looking and saying, this doesn't look like we're going to get there. So he goes to the captain of the ship they'd never met, and he says to him, hello, my name's Mr. Mueller. And I uh, just want to see how we're doing here because I need to be in Quebec by Saturday to speak. And the captain says, there's absolutely no way. I'm sorry, there's no way that's going to happen. You can see this fog. So George says to him, he says, well, you know, if you can't get me there, I guess God will use someone else too because I, I've been over 50 years now. I've been speaking and I've never been missed an engagement in over 50 years. I believe God wants me to be there. And so if you don't want to get me there, I'm sure he'll have someone who will. The captain looks at him like he's crazy. Like what kind of lunatic asylum this guy get out of? And so he says, uh, Mr. Mueller, he says, you see how dense this fog is. He says, well, yeah, I see how dense the fog is, but I'm not looking at the fog. I'm looking at my God who covers every detail of my life. He says, Captain, will you come down to the chart room with me so we can have a word of prayer? And the captain was sort of a nominal Christian, didn't take his relationship with God very seriously, but he said, okay. And so they went down, they get to the chart room, they kneel down. George kneels first, captain kneels down. And George begins to pray, just simple prayer. The captain would describe it later as the prayer of an eight-year-old in a Sunday school class. He just said, God, I know that you're willing and able to part this fog and take this fog away. I believe you've called me to speak in Quebec, and I believe you called me to be there on Saturday. And so I just ask you to, to release this fog in five minutes. <laughs> Captain's looking at him like he's crazy, kind of peeking out of his eye. They feel his best thing to do is better time. He better pray too. It seems like appropriate. So he starts to pray. George reaches over, puts his hand on his shoulder, and says, that won't be necessary. <laughs> he says, first of all, I know you don't believe it can really happen. And secondly, for the last 50 years, I've never failed to, res- to get an audience with the king every day of my life. I know he's already answered my prayer. You can go to the door now and take a look for yourself. He gets up and goes to the door in this dense fog that had been for over 24 hours, so thick you could not see it forward at all. It instantly vanished. Second story. It's a much shorter story, but equally important for where we're going later on. Sort of the end of his life, George ended up uh, living until he was 93 years old. And so he was sort of the end of his life, and there'd be these two men that he'd been praying to, for, his, for the last 50 years. He'd been praying that they'd come to Christ for over 50 years. And uh, they never showed any interest. 
And so after uh, uh, a couple of his, uh, one of his friends one day, one of his acquaintances, assisted George, she says, George, I know you've been praying for these guys for, for 50 years. I mean, do you really think they're going to come to Christ? If they haven't come to Christ after 50 years, you still pray for them. And George looks at him and says, well, of course I believe they're going to come to Christ. He said, why do you think God would have me keep praying for them for 50 years? Why would he tell me to keep praying for them if they weren't going to come to Christ? Sure enough, the year before he died, one of his friends came to Christ. The year after he died, the second friend came to Christ after over 50 years of prayer. Today, we're going into uh, this section in, in the, the Sermon on the Mount. It's in chapter 7. Uh, Pastor Dave Cox uh, opened it up last week. In fact, he did a tremendous job. At least the message. I don't know how he did a couple of the other ones, but the one I heard was amazing. And, uh, and so I just, I just love it that when I'm gone, the word is going forth with power. Isn't that awesome? And Dave just did it. He just really nailed it last week. And so it's a, it's a chapter, uh, in chapter 7, the beginning, the first half, Jesus begins to deal with um, a, a variety, a wide variety of topics. And uh, last week was Jesus and judging. This week, the topic of prayer comes up. Now, if you've been here through this series, you'll know that this is not the first time that Jesus has talked to us in prayer. He talked to us quite a bit about prayer back in chapter 6. But he has some new lessons for us, a couple more lessons, before he finishes up this sermon. And we're going to be looking at it today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. It's just five short verses. We'll be starting at verse 7. <clears throat> Here we go. Okay, so he says... Um, Ask and it will be given to you. So the topic is prayer. And of course, his disciples had seen him pray, and we'll see later today they were intrigued and fascinated by his prayer life. And so he's going to teach them some more about prayer, and he says, Ask and it will be given you. The first lesson we're going to see today, we'll come back to you a variety of times, but that Jesus wants to be absolutely confident that as his followers, so this is not true if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. Remember the Sermon on the Mount, there was two groups of people there. There was the crowd who were kind of curious about Jesus, just checking him out, and there were his followers. And the Sermon on the Mount is directed to his followers. And so the promises that we're reading here are not promises to the world in general, they're promises to his followers, those who have given their life to Jesus, those who have asked him to come in and take over their life and run their life See, the Sermon on the Mount is, is directed to them. And so he says, if you're a follower, he says, here's what I want you to know. Ask and it shall be given you. Jesus wants us to be absolutely confident that when we come before him with the request that he always hears and he will always respond. Now, this will raise issues later like, well, why is it in my life it doesn't always seem that way? We'll talk about that later. But let's just start there. So ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Kind of no exceptions. Uh, every one of his followers is the context. Every one of his followers who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be open. Now, I guess an illustration. And uh, the reason Jesus is so confident about being able to tell us this, this lesson about prayer is because he knows who his father is. And because he knows who his father is, he is confident about giving us his promise. So he says, okay, he says, think of your own lives. Which of you, if your son asks you for bread? Now, in those days, their bread, um, usually what they'd have most of the time would be these small rolls, more like a dinner roll that we would have. And, of course, in the land of Israel, there was all these rocks around that were sort of this, looked like a dinner roll, you know, kind of that little thing. 
And so that's the context of this. So he says, um, if your son, let's say you have a toddler, like two or three-year-old son, and he comes up and says, Daddy, can I have some bread? Okay? He says, so which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Like, what kind of dad would do that? You're like, just watch this. It's really funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, can you, Daddy, yeah, yeah, here's a stone. You know, he bites into it. Oh, fooled you. He's like, what kind of a dad would do that? Mm-hmm. He says, okay, here's illustration number two. Or if he asks for a fish, they'd have these, eat these little fish in those days. He asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? Will he give him a little snake kind of looks like a fish? Like, oh, fooled you. <laughs> he bit you, you know? Um, He's like, what? He's kind of being ridiculous. He's like, what, what kind of a dad would trick his son? Is it, the point of this is even, even us as human parents, even though we are evil, even though we're part of the fallen race of Adam and Eve, even though we are fallen people, we can still give good gifts to our children, Right? And so his comparison is going to be, so if we can do that with our kids, how much more will our Father in heaven, who's perfect, how much more? So that's what he says. If you then, verse 11, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay, so just quick five little verses on prayer. Now here's what I want to do today. We're going to split this message up into a couple, uh, couple sections. First section, I want to focus in on two important lessons that Jesus teaches, wants to teach us about prayer and how it works. And then at the end, I want to get back, come back and do really, be really practical, get really practical, and say based on those two lessons that Jesus has taught us, how's that working out in our life? Ask two important questions. So let's jump in. Number one, here's the first important principle. Number one, Jesus wants to understand that, that uh, prayer is a promise. You can count on it. Principle number one, that Jesus wants us to understand is as his followers. Now, again, if you've not yet made the decision to follow Jesus, this is not yet a promise for you. It will become a promise when you make that decision, all right? Um, I had a lady come up after the service last night and was trying to figure out some prayer things in her life and why things weren't, weren't working out. And we began to probe into her life, and we even discovered that, well, she really hasn't been walking with Jesus. And when we're not walking with Jesus, kind of all bets are off, right? It's like we're off the track, and now it's like, well, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Well, hey, you know, we're not following, you see? And so he says, but if we're a follower, prayer is a promise, you can count on it. Now, uh, Jesus, the first thing he does in this passage, he's making this amazing promise about prayer. And what he seems to be saying is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have this new relationship with your Father in heaven, and absolutely every time you ask, he always hears, always listens, always responds. And it's such an amazing, incredible promise that, frankly, you read it and you kind of go, really? Because I think most of our lives don't seem like that, right? And so it's like, really? But this is what he's saying, that if you... If you're a Christian, you have a father, he always hears, he always responds. He cannot not hear or respond because it's not in his nature. It's just not who he is. Uh, I remember the first time this dawned on me uh, many years ago. Um, it dawned on me for the first time that God has never forgotten a prayer request of my life. The first time it dawned on me that, that God has never forgotten one conversation we've had. 
Now, I, I've been a follower of Jesus since I was four years old. That's a lot of conversations. To be honest, I cannot remember most of the requests. You, you probably can't either in your life. Most of the time we send up requests, and over time we forget what we even asked for. But I remember the day it dawned on me that Jesus has never forgotten a single conversation that we've had, that every request I've ever asked is logged in the books of heaven. It's there. He has not forgotten it. And I started thinking through, what does this look, what does this mean in my life? For example, I was thinking through this this week. I remember in fifth grade, there was a classmate of mine who had been a friend, kind of turned into a bully, but I still had a heart for this guy. I wanted him to come to know Christ. And when I was in fifth grade, I'd pray for Danny Bogle. And I probably prayed for him many, many times over the years. And now I've lost touch with Danny Bogle many years ago. Lost, I lost 30 years, you know, tracking him. In fact, I tried to track him this week because I was doing this sermon. So I went online and did one of those, you know, public information searches. And, but it got to the point where we had to pay $39.95 to find out more. And it was like, okay, <laughs> it's all right. Sure enough, he's 51 years old, lives in Carlsbad, California. And, you know, I found out that much. So I don't know what's happening with Danny, but when he was in fifth grade, I was prayed for Danny Bogle. I've long forgotten about him until this sermon this week. But you realize, what I realize is that God has never forgotten one of those prayers for Danny. But they're all locked, okay? I was in seventh grade. I was doing along with a follower of Jesus, and all of a sudden, my sexuality kicked in. Kind of ruined everything. <laughs> well, not ruined everything, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, like, all of a sudden, like, how do you deal with this, you know? And uh, probably like many of you, throughout my life, God, would you help me with this? Would you, would you direct me with this? What am I supposed to do with this tiger in the tank, you know, and this whole deal? And it's like, this was a lot easier following Jesus before this kicked in, you know? And, and so all the prayers over the years, God's logged every one. Oh, cell phone alert. Thank you very much. All right. It's a good reminder. If you haven't turned yours off yet, that's just thank you for that courtesy reminder. I remember in uh, 11th grade, started dating Jill Dowsman. A lot of prayers about Jill Dowsman. God logged every one. I remember the seven, what I call the dark, seven dark years of my life where I went through just really dark years, almost suicidal at points, just could not connect with Jesus, could not, uh, had so many doubts about Christianity, whether it's really the real way, uh, could not have the power to, to live the Christian life. The Holy Spirit thing just wasn't working. Just my life was dark to the point of almost suicide at times. How many times I cried out to God, and you know, God never forgot one of those prayers. When we... After Lynn and I got married, I began praying for our children before they were born. How many times would I sit up in that gazebo in the backyard and pray for my kids that they would love God, they would have a passion for God, that they would understand that this life is not about this life, this life is about the next life. And God has never forgotten any one of those prayers. I'm going to go back about two or three years, and the church at Rocky Peak comes knocking. Would you be interested in being our pastor? And we began to pray God, is this what you want us to do? Do you want us to leave the church we've been for 24 years and it's been our whole life and do you want us to move to a far and distant land <laughs> where it gets really hot? God never forgot one of those prayers, you see. Now, you see what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? Your life, think back in your life. God has never forgotten one of your prayers. Everyone who asks receives. It's a promise. Count on it. But the most amazing thing is not only that he says he, he hears our prayers, but he responds to our prayers. 
Now, obviously, it doesn't always respond the way that we want. And the reason is, is because Jesus says he's a father. And if you ask for a roll, if you ask for a loaf of bread that you think is a good thing, and he knows it's really a stone, he's not going to give it to you. God is always looking at the big picture of your life. God's always looking at the big picture of where you're going, what he's doing, what his plans are. If most of us had our way, we would never go through any pain in life. Yet the reality is most of us, who we are today is because of the pain. And so God loves us too much. And so when we ask for what we think is a loaf of bread, and it's really a stone, he won't do that. Any of you uh, country music fans? You're willing to admit it? Okay, thank you. My name is Mike. I'm a country music fan. Hi, Mike. No. Um, years ago, Garth Brooks, when he was king of the world, uh, had a song, uh, Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. So you remember that song? It's a song about looking back in high school years. I used to pray every night that God would give him this one girl in his class. She was amazing. He had to have her. And now years later, he goes back to his high school reunion, and afterwards he writes a song. <laughs> Thank God for unanswered prayer. <laughs> hey, we've all been there, haven't you? There's something you just had to have, something you wanted God to do. Please, God, will you do that? I gotta have this thing. Get me a, and all of a sudden we look back with the, the passage of time, we say, God, thank you for not answering that prayer. You see, one of the things Jesus is trying to teach us in this, he says, guys, I understand. I understand that it doesn't always look like God is a father. I understand in your life that there's some things you've been asking me for, you begged me for, and he's not stepped in. And I understand it looks like he's not a father. Because I want you to understand something, that he is a father, and he is always looking out for your needs. Jesus himself went through times in his life. Remember in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he begged the father he would not have to go to the cross. And the father said no you have to go. The pro- Jesus asked and God said no. He understands that. But the reason God said no is he was part of a bigger plan. There was a resurrection coming. And I don't want to stand up here and suggest in this message that there are easy answers for everything in life. We live in a fallen world and I don't understand always how that works out and there's free choice. And I would, but here's what I want to tell you, that Jesus is being really clear with us as disciples. He says, you have a father and your father can be depended upon. In fact, in throughout this Sermon on the Mount, he's been one of his primary topics is to teach us about our father. Remember? Throughout the sermon, he said over and over and over again, he says, let me tell you about your father. Now that you're my followers, you've been born again. You have a new father. you got a new dad. Let me tell you about your dad. Your dad loves you always. In fact, he even loves his enemies. He sends his son and his reign upon those who hate him. Uh, Your dad knows what you need before you even ask him in prayer. And your father, he runs the world. He feeds the birds. He takes care of the flowers of the field. There's not a chance he's going to forget about you. You're way more valuable. And it says, in fact, in a word, your father is perfect. Remember chapter 5 and verse 48? Be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. He says, and based on this fact, based on the fact that your father is better than any earthly father you've ever known take it to the bank that when you speak he listens and he will always respond 
He cannot do otherwise. It's not in his nature, you see? That's the first lesson. Prayer is a promise. Take it to the bank. Okay, now, number two, the second lesson he wants to teach us is that prayer takes persistence, so don't give up. This is just a glorious moment for me. I'm looking back at my time clock, and it's got 44 minutes left. It hasn't even started yet. So that means we're going to get to go till noon. This is just awesome. I just thank God when these moments come. It's like, great. I get to share all the things that didn't make it in my notes. We're just going to be here. We're going to study about prayer the whole morning long. It's so good. So if we get out a little late today, just give me a little grace because I have no clue where we are. All right. Number two, uh, prayer takes persistence, so don't give up. There's the lesson. Now, if you're, looking, if you're paying attention, and I hope you are, um, you know, Dave had a great line last week. He talked about things that we are supposed to judge as followers of Jesus, remember? And he said, you need to be judging your teachers. And that is so true. You know, you should never be taking my word for, for, for granted. It's like, hey, you know, I have no authority on my own. I only have authority as I unpack the word of God. And so as I'm teaching, you need to be saying, hey, is that what it really says? You know, is that really true? And, uh, and so if you're paying attention right now, you're saying, well, Mike, I don't see anything about persistence in this passage. It says, ask and you shall receive, you know. Ask and it shall be given. Uh, seek and you shall find. Now, I don't see anything in that passage about persistence. Where are you getting that from? Very fair question. This is one of the few times um, when, when, and then when I'm teaching, I'm going to say this, but this is one of those times when it's really helpful to know the original language. Okay? Most of the time, um, most of the time when you, if you have a good English translation of your Bibles, you're good to go. You know, that's just, it's clear uh, what the Bible's teaching. But there, every once in a while, there's a time when you say, this is really helpful to know the original language. And this is one of those times. These three verbs that are used here, ask, seek, um, and uh, a knock, they're all uh, in the present tense in, in the Greek language. And in the Greek language, the present tense refers to what we call continuous action. And so what Jesus is saying, a better way of translating this would be to say, ask and keep on asking. Uh, seek and keep on seeking. Uh, knock and keep on knocking. And then you will receive and you will find and the door will be open. Now, um, fortunately, you don't have to just trust me on this about the Greek thing because in Luke chapter 11, it's even more clear. So I want you to take your Bibles. Let's go to Luke chapter 11, very similar teaching of Jesus where he teaches on prayer. And uh, Jesus' disciples come up to him on this particular day and they ask him to teach them about prayer. They've been observing and praying. They, they sense there's something more profound about his prayer than theirs and they want him to teach them. And so in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he was finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, will you teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples? And so he says, sure. And he begins to give them sort of a different form, an alternate form of the Lord's Prayer. And then in verse 5, he tells them a story to teach him about the importance of persistence in prayer. And uh, what he's going to say is, once upon a time, there was a man, and he'd gone to bed, and uh, in those days, um, the way it worked is most of the homes were single-room dwellings, much like this home we're building out here for Mexico. 
And so when you'd go to bed at night, you'd put the animals over in this corner and you'd have your, your kids here and your wife here and you'd, you'd bed everyone down. you go to bed usually when the sun would go down. And so you're, you're done for the night. No one's getting up, you know, because if anyone gets up, um, it's going to wake up everyone. And so you've been in bed and you've been asleep for hours and all of a sudden you hear a knock on the door. It's midnight and your, your friend, uh, a friend who claims to be your friend, anyone who call, you know, knocks your door at midnight is a little bit suspect, but your neighbor knocks on your door, and he's going to call to you, friend, um, can I have something to eat? Uh, I've got a buddy of mine, just got in 12, uh, just got in town at midnight, and I want to feed him Mid-Eastern hospitality. Here's very important. I need to feed him. I don't have any food. Can you get me some bread so I can feed him? Let's, let's see, see what happens. And so... Uh, Verse 5, he says, suppose one of you has a friend, he goes to him at midnight, and he says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And so the one inside answers, um, don't bother me. <laughs> Not what he wanted to hear. <laughs> Great friend. Uh, the door is already locked. My kids are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you that though he will not get up and give him the bread because he's a friend. <laughs> They're not really that good of friends. Um, yet because of the man's boldness, and in the Greek the word is persistence or shamelessness. Uh, you have no shame. He just keeps pounding on the door. No, I'm serious. I need the bread. You know, no, I'm serious. Now look, remember the time I helped you in third grade. You know, I need the bread. Now, remember in seventh grade with Debbie and how I have, you know, come on, I need the bread. And he just like keeps knocking on the door. And finally, uh, it says, because of his boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And then look what he says next, the exact same thing we just read in the Sermon on the Mount. So I say to you, ask, and these again are present imperatives again, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek, keep on seeking, you'll find, knock. Keep on knocking, the door will be opened to you for everyone who, who uh, asks, receives. He who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. So it's very clear teaching, isn't it? Very clear teaching on the importance of persistence. Now, the, the interesting the, the question is, why is persistence in prayer so important? I just wish Jesus had told us, you know? This is one of those questions I really want to ask him. Because over and over, Jesus will teach us, the Bible teaches us, the importance of persistence in prayer. In other words, we don't just ask God once for something. We keep on asking until we receive. We keep on seeking until we find the answer. We keep on knocking until God opens the door. And it's such a mystery to me. And I just, why, I just wish God would tell us why this is important. It makes no sense to me. It seems so counterintuitive. Jesus has already told us that God is a father who knows all our needs, loves us, takes care of the whole universe, and wants to meet our needs. He knows before you. So it's not that God doesn't want to answer us. The point of the parable is like God is like the friend who's saying, go away. Right? That's not the point. The question is why do we have to keep asking? To me, it seems counterintuitive. It seems like it seems like nagging God or something. Have, have you ever felt like that? It's like, well, why am I supposed to keep, just keep nagging God on this issue? I asked him once. He heard me. That's good enough. If he wants to answer me, I'm sure he'll answer in his time. I'm not going to bug him. He's running the world. Right? And often our human minds think like that. But for some reason, 
And, and not only does Jesus not explain why, but the whole Bible doesn't explain why. There is no place in the Bible that says, here is why persistence in prayer is required. And yet the whole Bible teaches that it's important. Now, there, I think there's some hints in the Bible. Um, I think that if you've been a Christian a while and you've been a, a, a prayer person, you've probably discovered certain things. Well, let me give you some little theories I have. Okay? Some little ideas. Um, I think that uh, sometimes pr- uh, persistent prayer helps us to sort through our own desires. Uh, I think sometimes as human beings, if you've ever gone like with a tour, you know, like a young child to a Toys R Us at Christmas time, <laughs> you understand this. They want everything, right? They want this, they want that, and they want this, and they don't really want or need any of that. And as a parent, you would be foolish to buy them everything. You have to kind of sort through what do you really want, and so you have to kind of wait for a process. I think sometimes prayer is like that, that we, we're always asking, God, oh, would you do this, you do this, and do this, and sometimes you're just kind of waiting, let's see what you really want. Um, I think sometimes, I think prayer, God uses persistence in prayer to develop our relationship with him. In other words, that there's something that you want from God, you need from God, and you begin to ask him, and he says, okay, that's great, I, why don't you, I, I'm glad that you want that, I want to use this to get at you. I want to draw you deeper into our relationship. Um, let me tell you, like one thing I'm praying for right now, um, I've been praying for a long time, is a new life group pastor here at Rocky Peak. Um, this is an incredibly important position. I really see this man as being sort of the, uh, the shepherd of our church, the one who's going to make sure that everyone is taken care of. Everyone's got a place to grow. All the groups are running well. There's, every group is healthy. Uh, we've got real high standards for this position. Um, and so I've been praying for that for 14 months now. I'm getting a little irritated. Uh, it's taking way longer than I would like. Um, I had 100, 200 resumes. The guy's not there. And so what happens over that period of time, can I tell you that I'm getting more and more intense about this? The more I wait, the more I, I find myself seeking God with greater intensity. That I begin, other distractions are falling off. Okay, God, okay, seriously, <laughs> We need this guy for the church. You, this is your church. You understand this, Lord. You understand how important this position is. I mean, I need a guy of integrity. I need a guy of people skills. I, know I need a guy who can train, a guy who can recruit, a guy who's a systems thinker, a strategic thinker. I need someone who can speak and someone who can write curriculum. And, and God, you know, I need this person. We need this person. And my intensity level is rising you see? And I find myself rising up and pursuing God. You see what I'm saying? And in that pursuit, there's a new connection that God and I are getting over that pursuit. Does this make sense? That there's something that's happening as I am rising up to pursue him on this. We are drawing tighter through this thing. Now think of your life. When you're going through hard times, isn't the time your prayer life is the best? Because you're pursuing God. And that situation is driving you to pursue God. And there in the pursuit, God meets you in new ways, doesn't he? He draws us closer. And then when the answer comes, when God finally provides us with this person that we need, this life group pastor, I'll never forget it. 
And my faith is going to grow because now I'm going to, oh, now I get it. Now I understand. Now I understand the weight. Now I get the whole thing. And I can say, oh, and in the future, when I need something in my life from God, I'm going to say, remember the time he provided. You see, he's changed me in the process. Persistence does that. I think another intriguing answer um, or intriguing theory is, uh, you know, there's evidence in the Bible that, that part of the reason why answers are delayed in our life for prayer is because there's a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes that we can't see. And that our prayer is a spiritual weapon in this battle. That as we pray, the tides of battle are turning as we pray for issues. That there is a, there is a spiritual battle going on in planet Earth that we cannot see. And, and, and for example, I don't know if this is for sure in this case, but for example, God doesn't want this church to have the right guy leading our life groups. I mean, God, God does. Satan doesn't want the right guy. Like, you're like, and we're listening to you? Um, uh, Satan does not want the right guy in this position because he understands strategically the importance of this role. And it's very likely that behind the scenes, as we as a congregation are praying, and I hope you're praying with me on this, that as we're praying for the right man for God to bring us, that there is a battle going on because, because Satan doesn't want him to come. He understands strategically the importance of that. And so for whatever reason, there may be other reasons, but for whatever reason, we don't, the Bible never clearly explains this, but it's very clear on this, that persistence is required in many cases. There's times we ask and God answers right away. There's other times we ask and he doesn't answer right away and we have to keep on asking, all right? Okay, so those are two principles, right? Prayer is a promise you can count on it. Secondly, persistence is required, so keep at it. And, um, and so now let's ask the two questions for our lives. They're in the next section, the two final questions. Number one, uh, first I think, practical question that flows out of this, this principle is are you making the most of Jesus' promise? Your life, are you making the most of his offer in your life? Jesus has made this incredible promise. The question is, are you taking him up on it? Um, one thing that becomes very clear as you look at the life and the teaching of Jesus is prayer is how we get things done in his kingdom. It's the way things are done. If you go into a restaurant and you want to eat, the way you get your meal is by asking, right? If you're home, if you're at home it's not the way it works. <laughs> um, I won't go there. But... Uh, if you're at home, you, you cook it yourself or whatever, or, or someone in the home might cook it. But anyway, um, I, 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 what are you I didn't say a thing. I did not say a thing. I'm just saying, I'm not assuming that all homes work the same way. Okay, but when you're in a restaurant, the way you get a meal is you ask for it. The way you get more water is you ask for it. The way you get dessert is you ask for it. The way things happen in a restaurant is by asking kind of weird sort of way, God's kingdom works like that. His kingdom works like a restaurant. What do you need God to do in your life? It happens by asking. This is the way he set up his kingdom. God has set up his kingdom to be a partnership, a partnership where he has the power. We're on planet earth. We see what needs to be done. It's a partnership. And so we partner with him. God, this is what needs to happen for your kingdom. Will you send in the heavy artillery here? Will you, we, we're calling in the airstrikes, you see? 
And that's the way God set it up. And Jesus set it up. And so here in Matthew, um, Jesus is saying, here's how it works. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. This is the way it works. It becomes even more clear later in Jesus' ministry that prayer is the way things get done in his kingdom. Um, the last night that Jesus was with his disciples before he was arrested, he tells them, men, I'm about to leave. I'm turning over the mission to you. You are going to be very successful after I'm gone. I'm sending the Spirit to help you be successful. And he tells them in a variety of ways that they'll be successful. He says, for example, after I go, you will do even greater works than I will have done. This is all in John uh, 14 through 16, by the way. Uh, he tells them, he says, I, in fact, here's the way it works. I'm like, a, I'm like a grape vine. You're like the branches. You stay connected with me, and you will be incredibly fruitful in your life. You're going to be successful. But here's the point. Every time that he tells them how successful they're going to be, every time, you watch it. If you look at this, in fact, in your homework this week, if you do it, these verses are there for you to check it out. Every time he tells them, he ties their success to prayer. So, for example, in chapter 14, he says, after I go, you're going to do even more amazing things than I've done. The very next verse, he says, so whatever you ask in my name, it will be done. In chapter 15, he says to them, I'm like the vine, you're like the branch, you stick with me, you're going to be very productive, you're going to be successful. He says, so whatever you ask in my name, it will happen. In chapter 16, he says, I'm leaving, you're staying he says, but from now on, I want you to do something you haven't done before. I want you to ask in my name. And from now on, God is going to listen to you in a new way, and your joy is going to be full. So every time he talks about being successful and about their productivity, he ties it immediately to prayer. Now, this is something that's kind of a new thought for many of us. Many times when we think of prayer, we think, why should we pray? We pray so we can be connected with God and deepen our personal relationship, right? And that's absolutely true, but there is another reason we pray, and the reason we pray is because if we don't pray, things won't happen. See, God has designed his kingdom to where the way things uh, you get done is by asking. This last week, uh, uh, I got a, a, uh, uh, just a nice card and, and a book from uh, Carol Walker in our congregation, and and just you didn't know, I don't think I was talking about prayer this week, but it was this classic, little classic on prayer by Andrew Murray, uh, Jesus in the School of Prayer. And I'd read it about 30 years ago. It had been a long time. And so I was looking through the preface this week, and he makes this great statement, and I put it there on your note sheet. Uh, he says, the place and the power of prayer in the Christian life is too little understood. As long as we view prayer simply as a means of maintaining our own Christian lives, our own personal relationship, we will not fully understand what it's really supposed to be. But when we learn to regard it as the highest part of the work entrusted to us, catch this, the root and the strength of all other work, we will see there's nothing we need to study and practice more than the art of praying. See, in James chapter 4, it's there in your note sheet as well, James, the half-brother of Jesus, years later, will make this statement. He'll t write to this church. He says, you have not because you ask not. He says, God's not working your life, not because God's not willing to work in your life, but because you're not asking him to work in your life. See? So here's the, here's the point. God has made this incredible offer to you. Are you taking advantage? What do you need God to do in 
your part of the kingdom? What do you need to do in, in your life? What do you need him to do in your spouse's life? What do you need to do in your marriage? What do you need to do in your dating life? What do you need to do in your kids, your church, your life group, your community, your job, your workplace, your nation, the world? What do you need God to do? Are you taking advantage of this incredible offer? Okay, that's the first question. Second question. Are you growing in persistence? Are you learning in your life the importance of persistence in prayer? Are you growing in persistence? Jesus has talked about this, knocking on your neighbor's door at midnight. Keep knocking until you get the answer. We started the day with these two stories of George Mueller. I love both the stories. The first story illustrates the power and the promise of prayer. You ask for the fog to be lifted. In five minutes, it's lifted. Jesus promised that you'll do even more amazing things than I've done is fulfilled. Okay, it's a great illustration of power and promise of prayer. But there's a second, second uh, story, right? The one where he's praying for his friends for over 50 years. You know what I love about that prayer is his answer. He says, of course God was putting his plans to save them. Why would he keep on having me pray for 50 years? You see, this illustrates an important principle. The prayer is two-way communication, isn't it? The best prayer happens in our life when God gives birth to his prayers in our life. The best prayer happens when God puts it in our heart what he wants us to be praying for, for his kingdom. We ask him, we pray it back to him, and it's done. There's a cycle that happens, like the rain falling from the earth evaporating back up. It's just this cycle of prayer And so George, being a man who'd walked with Jesus all these years, he was clear that God was putting this on his heart. He was to continue praying for these people. And he's saying, well, why would he have me do that if he's not going to answer, you see? The question is, what is God putting in your heart? What do you need to be persistent about in your life? My favorite definition of prayer is there on your note sheets from William Law. He was a a great spiritual leader in the 1700s. And he says that uh, prayer is a desire of the soul turned towards God. In modern language, the way I put it in my life, it's prayer is a desire of the heart turned towards God. No, it's like the essence of true prayer is what are the deepest desires of your heart for God to do, and then you say, God, here's my heart. You turn your heart towards God. Here's my heart, God, and that is the essence of prayer, right? We turn the desire of our heart. I was thinking this week of what are some of the desires of my heart that I turn towards prayer so naturally? Let me just give you a few examples. This is a, I just want to illustrate this persistence in prayer in case this might be helpful for you in your life. What do we pray for? What does it look like? Well, there's certain things in my life I'm passionate about, and every week when I pray, I always pray for these things. Uh, many of these things I pray for almost every time I spend a, a, a time with God in prayer. Uh, I was thinking like this week, uh, one thing I pray for almost every time I pray is on my marriage. One thing I pray I pray that God would um, increase my love for Lynn. I pray that God would teach me how to love my wife. I pray that, that God would, um, that would give me an appreciation for her. I would not take her for granted. I pray that he would increase my affection, increase my attraction, increase the chemistry between us, that we would have strong connection, that I would treasure her and that I would honor her. And every time I pray, I pray that prayer. I thought of my kids Every week, several times a week, I pray for my kids. I pray that they would have a passion for God. I pray that they would realize that this life is not about this life. It's all about the next life. 
that they would see clearly that it's all about the kingdom and what God has for them. I pray for their friendships. I pray for their finances. I pray for their health. I pray for their blessing. I pray for their careers and direction and their giftedness in life and their specific calling. And I pray that every week. I pray for this church. You know, we have this thing called the company that committed here, right? Company that committed is the seven commitments that members make when they join the church at Rocky Peak. There's seven commitments, the seven descriptions of what a healthy Christian looks like, a growing Christian looks like. There's seven commitments, seven days of the week, and so when I'm praying, whatever day it is, I often will say, what day is it? Day number four, day number three, and I pick up that, I pick up that commitment. And so if it's on Sundays, I pray that we would be a church that's passionate about Jesus, that our top priority is to please him no matter what else or whatever it takes. And if it's Monday, I pray that in our services in the weekend and in our life groups during the week that we would have encounter with God and true fellowship with God. We would meet him in a personal way. If it's on a Tuesday, what am I praying for? I'm praying for, for spiritual intimacy, that we would learn how to spend time with God alone on a personal, on an individual basis, and we would connect and learn how to hear his voice and connect with God. If it's a Wednesday, I'm praying we learn how to do relationships in the right way as a church and how to love one another and do relationships the whole new Jesus way. And if it's Thursday, I'm praying that God would help each of us to discover our unique calling and purpose in life, that he would reveal our gifts and our place he's called us to serve, and that we'd passionately be serving. If it's Friday, I'm praying that he would teach us that our income, our funds belong to him, and they're there for the extension of his kingdom, and we would learn to be generous to the extension of his kingdom. And if it's on Saturday, I'm praying that we learn that we're part of a movement, that we'd have a kingdom mindset as a church, and we'd be passionate, not about us, but it's not about us, it's about the world, it's about this movement we're a part of. And we as a church would understand that and we would develop a kingdom mindset. And you say, well, Mike, why do you pray about those things? I pray about them because it's the desire of my heart turned towards God. What is the desire of your heart today? What is it that you need God to do in your corner of his kingdom? And are you bringing that persistently before God? Just day after day, week after week, you're bringing your heart and saying, God, here is my heart. I want to bring it to you. I want to put it into words. Because you promised and you told me to ask and keep on asking. You told me if I would seek and keep on seeking that I would find. You told me that if I would knock and keep on knocking, that door will be open. And I want to take you at your word. Let's pray. Lord, we, we want to learn how to pray as a congregation. Not as a religious act, not as a ritual, not as a notch in our belt, but as a way to connect with you, to draw close with you, and to partner with you for the advance of your kingdom. God, we pray that you would reveal these things to us, that you'd put it in our heart, the desire to spend more time with you, and that you would teach us how to bring our hearts to you on a regular basis, to lay them out there, to teach us how to ask, how to seek, and how to knock, that we might receive, that we might find, the door might be open. Thank you for your incredible promise that everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, everyone who knocks, the door will be open. We pray this in your name.
Amen. As we bring our service to a close today, we're going to continue in the spirit of worship and, and we're going to sing in that song, Better is One Day. Uh, as we talk, uh, talk, uh, talk about prayer, but we also want to, during this time of worship, uh, we want to receive our, our tithes, our offerings to advance God's kingdom. Uh, this is also a time when we encourage you to fill out your registration card and drop that in the offering, especially if you're, you're newer. We'd like it for everyone, just at least the, the name, the date, and the, the service. But there's a place in the back also for prayer requests or any messages for our staff, and uh, encourage you to fill that out. For those of you who are new here at Rocky Peak, if you're just visiting, after we know that you're here the second time, Lynn and I will invite you to our house for a, just a welcome dessert to explain a little bit about the church and we meet you personally. And so once you turn that in a couple times, you'll get on that list if you would like to be. If you don't want to come to our house, never send the card in. <laughs> All right, uh, let's, uh, let me ask the ushers to come forward as we continue to go before the Lord. God, we're just uh, thankful for what you're doing here at this church, and we thank for, for the lessons you're teaching us in the area of our finances. I would pray, Lord, today that you would bless these gifts, you would use them to extend your kingdom. I pray, Lord, for our congregation. I pray for especially those men and women that are directly affected right now by the housing industry, the mortgage industry, the construction industry. It looks like we could be headed towards troubled times. We pray you protect and provide for the members of our congregation here going through that time, you would meet them in this time of need in a special way. God, thank you that we can come into your presence. Thank you for your word in the Psalms. This is better as one day in your house than the rest of life anywhere else. We enter now into your presence. In Christ's name, amen. May the Lord bless you this week. It may be a week of asking and seeking and knocking may be a week where you receive, where you find, and where the door is opened. And may he teach us all as a congregation how to pursue him as a church to accomplish great things for his kingdom. God bless you. I'll see you next weekend. Have a good week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.